The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. The Dow Jones and the S&P 500 both hit new records as inflation jumps, but the core number comes in lower than expected. The Fed's Robert Kaplan tells CNBC in an exclusive interview that he believes conditions could be right for drastically bringing forward the timetable to taper. It would be my view that if the economy unfolds uh, between now and our September meeting, if it unfolds the way I expect, Uh, I would be in favor of announcing a plan at the September meeting and beginning tapering in October. Zurich Insurance says it's on track to meet next year's targets after reporting a 60% jump in first-half earnings and a strong capital position. CEO Mario Greco will join us later this hour. Chinese autonomous vehicle company Pony.ai reportedly parks plans for a U.S. IPO due to Beijing's regulatory crackdown. But the Hong Kong Exchange's new CEO downplays fears in a CNBC exclusive interview. Big tech is being regulated all over the world. There's a lot of regulatory pressures in, in, in all countries, in the U.S., in Europe, and it's no different in China. And we've got a crowded green room today with C-suite executives joining us from NN Group, Bill Finger, Zurich and Ahon, as well as delivery hero Novozymes, Fixed Price and Cineworld. So you won't want to miss the full three hours of Squawk Box. Good morning, everyone. We start out the day talking about a very important piece of macroeconomic data, the all-important inflation reading yesterday. And the latest uh, consumer prices across the United States stabilized at 5.4% in July, but core CPI came in less than expected. Previous drivers of inflation included used car prices. They sharply decelerated, but indexes for housing, food, energy and new vehicles all rose over the month. Fed Chair Jerome Powell has insisted inflationary pressures are transitory, but FOMC officials are coming under increasing pressure to announce when it will end bond purchases. In an exclusive interview with CNBC, Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan sounded a hawkish note on tapering. It would be my view that if the economy unfolds uh, between now and our September meeting, if it unfolds the way I expect, uh, I would be in favor of announcing a plan at the September meeting and beginning tapering in October. The reason I'm saying we ought to begin the tapering soon is uh, I think these purchases are very well equipped to stimulate demand, but we don't have a demand problem in the economy. We've got plenty of demand. Our issue is supply, and these purchases are not very well equipped to deal with that issue. All right, let's take a look at uh, the U.S. markets then, because uh, the big inflation story that Karen was talking about really dominated the market action. So let me just show you the Dow Jones Industrial Average then up six tenths of one percent, the S&P 500 gaining a quarter of one percent. Just something to throw into your thought processes this morning as we roll through these. And let's Uh, Just push on and have a look at the dollar crosses and also uh, uh, some of the other movers around inflation. And and the point I want to make here is a a point that was uh, um, 
picked up by Longview Economics. And it's just something to throw in, that even as we look at this current series of inflationary data, the core was a little easier, which had everybody going, ah, so the Fed is right. It is, in fact, transitory. Longview Economics making the point that this short-term phase could be transitory, but ultimately, as you look at food and shelter and energy, those things excluded from the core measure, they are all trending higher, and they may ultimately build a base to higher medium-term inflationary pressure. Now, that's something that the market is not thinking too much about, but I suspect That's why a lot of the Fed governors are keen to get on with tapering and with starting to take back perhaps some of those bullets on interest rates because of the suspicion that even as this current phase of inflationary pressure may be transitory down to supply bottlenecks and COVID and so forth, we could actually be moving into a media-term higher glide path on inflation, which is not something, as I say, I don't, I don't think the markets are actually pricing this in very much at this stage. Treasury curve. Let's just show you where the benchmark 10-year is, uh, one spot, three, four. We haven't really deviated very much from where we sat yesterday on that inflation print. Ah, everything is fine. It's all transitory, right? That's what the 10-year note continues to tell you. What about the oil price? Well, President Biden and his team weighing in on OPEC Plus, putting a little bit of support under the energy price yesterday. In fact, what they were arguing for was a lower price ultimately by getting OPEC Plus to increase supplies. But I think what they ultimately did was just drew attention to some of the tightness at the moment on this pickup in activity demonstrated by the inflation numbers, both core and headlines. So there we sit. Uh, WTI just below $70, Brent $71.51. The Asian markets, well, how are they dealing with inflation? Hmm, interesting, isn't it? Asia is actually a little weaker this hour, um, and I don't think that's down to domestic drivers in that part of the world. I think that market is having a good hard look at some of these inflation figures and trying to figure out, actually, is this going to begin to choke off some of the growth momentum and what will be the consequences for some of those major Asian exporters and for domestic demand in Asia? Well, the producer's keeping me on my uh, toes this morning, so thank you for that, Mohammed. Let's get to uh, NN Group then. First half net result coming in at 1.4 billion compared with 587 million in the first half of 2020. The uh, first half operating result increasing to uh, 1.119 million from uh, 926 million in the first half of 2020. So again, we're well over a billion uh, euros here. That is an improvement on the first half uh, a year ago. Uh, In terms of the uh, uh, capital generation, that increased to 780 million from 543 million in the first half of 2020. Um, The uh, group uh, says, um, based on current claims estimates, the financial impact of the floods on our results is expected to be around uh, Euro 70 million pre-tax 
net of external reassurance in the second half of the year. Uh, David Nib joins us. Uh, David is the CEO of NNN Group. David, there's a lot in here to like. Obviously, this is a net result that's uh, more than doubled ultimately. Uh, but I guess um, just a couple of um, uh, caveats in there about some of the uh, additional flood costs that you're going to experience. But characterise the period for us here. You must be happy with the numbers. Yes, indeed. And, uh, and good morning. Uh, yes, it was a very strong half year. Um, the, the capital generation was up 44%. But uh, what I'm particularly pleased with is the underlying business drivers that were actually driving this capital generation. We've seen our non-life business improving to 92% combined ratio, but especially the commercial growth sticks out. So our European business uh, uh, grew 61% in terms of new business. Japan more than doubled. Uh, our DC business in the Netherlands had an inflow of close to a a billion, but also uh, our asset manager and an IP. We had a net inflow of third-party business of uh, 3.9 billion. So overall, very strong results, and I think especially the business drivers and the and the commercial momentum uh, sticks out. And just picking up on that, um, for our audience who are not familiar with insurance businesses, that key ratio that you mentioned, the combined ratio, indicates profitability at anything below 100. As you look forward. Where can you take that 92%? Is is there much more you can do at this point, either to hike uh, premiums or to cut costs to evolve that uh, below the 90 level? Right. So we set a target of, of 94 to 96, which we think is a, is a long-term sustainable uh, combined ratio. So actually with the 92, we're doing a bit better than, uh, than our own guidance. The real focus of the business now is further improving all of our customer journeys. We're still integrating the, uh, the, the FIFA business that, uh, that we acquired uh, uh, recently in, uh, in the Netherlands. And indeed, to your point, expense efficiency remains very, very important because that's a way to also keep the, uh, the premium for our customers low. Uh, uh, so, so far, the results have been very good. I think COVID helped a little bit in, in terms of the, the intensity of, uh, uh, of traffic. There's more people at home. We see a bit less, uh, less burglaries. Uh, so overall, uh, the 92 is a very good number. Long term, we, we stick to our guidance of between 94 and 96 percent. Uh, David, can I probe a little bit more around the floods? Because you've estimated the 70 million euro exposure. But if you consider what we witnessed as the events were unfolding in Germany, this wide scale flooding that shocked even scientists by the, the scale and also the, the breaking of records. What does your business do on the back of an event like this? So how do you recalibrate and price risk around Germany? Yes, indeed. I think we've all seen the, the, the footage and it was, it was obviously a, a very shocking and, and we've seen uh, uh, things evolve. Uh, obviously, there was an impact in the Netherlands. There was certainly impact in, in Belgium and, and a very large impact also in, in Germany. Ourselves, we only operate in, in Belgium and in, uh, in the Netherlands. So the real focus first has been on, on supporting our customers. We set up mobile shops. We offered a lot of local support. We sent people uh, uh, over there. A lot of the smaller claims we already paid out. We've given advancements also on uh, uh, larger claims on, on to uh, to support our customers um, but it's so so we're now trying to get through the uh, the direct impact of uh, of the floods I think that's one thing but indeed to your question there is a bigger picture here and and it, it's clear that weather is getting more extreme and it's something that that we're, we're putting into our models and we have to start incorporating in our, our premium now at the same time of course there's also positive trends we're trying to be more efficient reduce the expense part of our 
premium. Uh, there's more connected homes. We can do more prevention. There's, of course, a lot of tooling, warning our customers. So there, there's also things we can do to support our customers. But clearly, the, the more extreme weather has an, uh, has an impact on insurance premiums going forward. Now, elsewhere, one of the other big trends we've seen has been a ton of M&A. And I want to ask you about the future of NN Group's investment management arm. Uh, we've just mentioned it a, a moment ago as well. And we heard recently that bids were being prepared from the likes of Goldman Sachs Asset Management and uh, DWS. Can you confirm where you're at in that process? Indeed, we announced a strategic review in uh, in April, uh, and and the whole goal was uh, to to see whether we can accelerate the growth of our asset manager by making it part of a larger platform. There's multiple options on the table, like a merger, a joint venture, a, a partial divestment, or a, a full divestment. That re review is ongoing, so once there's more news to share, we will obviously do so. I think in the meantime, the asset manager did very well. I already mentioned uh, the inflow of 3.9 billion of the third-party business, but that goes really hand in hand with their strong investment performance. 70% uh, of our alpha strategies is outperforming the, uh, the, the main peers in, in the funds that we operate. So all in all, uh, uh, not only on the customer side, but also on the investment uh, performance side, uh, NNIP had a very strong half year. And David, just an update on the three quarter of a, a billion dollar uh, bid for uh, MetLife at this point. Can you just update us on that as well? And as, uh, as you get a, a better look at the business, any shift in the uh, prospective synergies or benefits? Yeah, so indeed we acquired uh, MetLife Greece and, uh, and Poland. Uh, the real focus now is on trying to close the, uh, the transaction. Yeah, obviously, we have uh, uh, signed a deal, but now we still need to, need to close uh, the business. We're very excited about the opportunity that, uh, that this provides. It strengthens our position in Poland, our, our number three position in, uh, in life insurance. Uh, in Greece, we become the number one life insurance uh, company. But this also is a company with more distribution capabilities. We get another 1,600 uh, uh, strong tight agents into our business, uh, 400 colleagues of MetLife uh, will be joining us. So we're very excited about the opportunity. We've given an indication of 50 million of extra capital generation uh, on, the back of this, uh, on the back of this deal. And, and, and everything we've seen so far uh, shows that we will be able to, uh, to deliver that, uh, that number. David, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Much appreciated. David did with us, the CEO of NN Group. Now, coming up on the show, Billfinger hikes its outlook for 2021 and outlines how it plans to allocate capital proceeds from the sale of Appleona's stake. We will discuss that and how the business is tracking with the interim CEO, Christina Johansson. That is coming away next. And for more on the inflation conundrum facing Fed officials, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Uh, we'll be right back, everybody. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts.
In other earnings out this morning, Billfinger is hiking its four-year outlook after reporting strong second quarter organic sales and revenue growth. The German industrial group now expects its adjusted EBIT margin to top pre-pandemic levels at around 3%. And joining us now to dig into the numbers is Christina Johansson, who is interim CEO of Billfinger. Christina, welcome back to the program. Just reading through your presentation, you talk about uh, most areas, uh, supportive dynamics in most regions, but crucially that we're most, not all. So just unpick some of the strength you're witnessing and also some areas that are yet to catch up. Good morning, Karen, um, and um, thank you for participating, letting me participate. Yeah, um, definitely we have many regions that are moving even a bit faster forward than we expected. And here clearly Europe has had the lead. So all our European regions and also industries are doing very well. Um, North America is a little bit behind time-wise. We we have started to see also in quarter one and two that the pipeline and the water intake is improving. But I would say around about six months behind Europe um, in in our businesses. Um, When we look at the industries, um, we see very clearly uh, the chemical and petrochemical industry coming back again. um, And also in the energy transition, obvious, a lot going on. Um, so we, we started off this year very well and we are very pleased with the ramp up. Christina, the um, free cash flow number was negative, uh, negative 43 million. Um, obviously, there's a line in here that talks about the growth related working uh, capital uh, consumed over the period. Could you just talk to us a little bit about what you expect the turnaround in that cash flow number to be and why? Well, obviously, you never you never would be um, um, happy, you always need to drive forward. And in the working capital, the, the ramp up in sales um, has, of course, costed us an increase in working capital that we clearly see also in quarter two. We expect that to improve. We had a fantastic second half last year, um, and even having COVID around, we were actually better than we have ever been in the last quarter last year. So, so it will be one of the focus areas now for quarter three and quarter four to improve the working capital. But it's not only the working capital that uh, is burdening the um, the quarter two cash flow. It's also some of the restructuring that we did last year, but obviously only had a cash impact this year. So it's a combination of both. Can I ask you about the pharma and biopharma sector? We've seen a huge amount of interest with the vaccine developments. What are you doing in that sector? You've mentioned uh, that the megatrends remain unchanged, but also you've pointed to extra CapEx projects. So just flesh out what you're up to there. Well, to keep it simple, what we're doing is that we, uh, we in a number of projects, are helping the producers of vaccines to change their equipment, um, the machinery, uh, the production process, to adjust it to be able to produce the vaccine. So we are, we are simply assisting them in changing, uh, modifying the, uh, the production processes. The oil and gas sector also uh, one that we're watching very closely around the ESG concerns uh, with a number of major oil companies trying to ensure they do not have stranded assets and pouring money into renewable energy. What is this uh, impact? What is this impact having on your business? 
Well, it's it's actually opening up for for additional opportunities because, as you said, many of the oil and gas companies are now investing into renewable energy. And as we have the client relationship already, and many of the skills required in these projects in in renewable energy, but also in the maintenance part, are the same skills as we have since years on the oil and gas side. I think we are in a very fortunate position here. To, to gain um, to gain in the renewable area. Um, so we are aligning with these clients that are investing and, and trying to just move our people from um, oil and gas and then into sectors like, like wind power. Very interesting looking at the E&M um, book to bill ratio in Europe at one currently. As these new orders come in, what is your capacity, do you think, to deal with uh, an uptick in activity? Because I guess that that's the direction we ought to be traveling in, given the uh, additional stimulus that we're seeing delivered in the US around this infrastructure project and here in Europe around the new gen funds. Well, it, it is absolutely a challenge to be able to recruit skilled, motivated um, where, uh, people. And, and that was an issue before the COVID and it hasn't gone away. So especially in Europe, it will continue to be a challenge. But, but given that we also have a kind of recruitment internally, we are having a substantial amount of people, skilled, motivated people coming from Eastern Europe and working for us in, in on the Western side. And we continue to work hard on developing this and making the resources available. The growth is incredibly important for us. Um, and therefore, we need to make sure that we have the resources. In US, we have... We have similar effects. However, it's a little bit easier so far to find the people in the US. And I'm fascinated about what you're saying about the oil and gas sector at the moment, because it does seem as though there's been a trend of underinvestment by the integrated businesses in um, companies like yours, in, in essence, through these maintenance contracts and new projects. Do you think there's going to be a reckoning in the near future as uh, we begin to acknowledge actually oil and gas is going to be around for somewhat longer and these integrated businesses are going to be involved in the sector for a lot longer. I think we have seen over time that there has been a kind of consolidation and also some have been stepping out years ago. But but I definitely believe that oil will be around still for quite some time. And also the very attractive oil price right now is, of course, also making the oil business continuously um, attractive. So I think definitely we will see that oil year by year will become less important, but it will be around for still a long time because the alternatives are not ready um, to replace oil. Christina, can I ask you about the future of Billfinger? We've been watching it very closely and Sevian, one of the activist investors, cutting its stake, which is usually seen as a good thing as the activist investor pulls back from the share register. And uh, also in terms of uh, one other potential company that was looking to take over Billfinger, Eltrad talks with that company fell apart a couple of months ago as well over price, uh, apparently, and a few other issues. Where are you at? Do you think Billfinger will remain an independent company? 
think the most important thing for me as a member of the executive board is to make Bilfinger a better company. That's what we are working on. There are different ways of making Bilfinger a better company, but I think we have a very, very clear strategy. We have shown that this strategy works. Um, we are making the progress. We have been picking up very well after um, the COVID year 2020. Um, so it's simply driving forward and uh, and make sure that we get the growth that also will help us to develop the company. So I think that is the focus. Um, and on speculations and rumors, we, we are not commenting. What about Sabian? Yes, Sabian slightly reduced their stake in, in Bilfinger. Um, the reasons are very transparent for us, um, but Sabian continue to be very committed to Bilfinger and obviously also has got two seats on the board of Bilfinger. And Kristen, just before we let you go, obviously you're interim at the moment. Can you just tell us what happens next? Well, uh, the supervisory board is working very hard to find a new CEO. Um, and in the meantime, I uh, have agreed to continue to do this role as a CFO and interim CEO. Um, we work hard. We have no time to lose. Um, speed is important. Um, and uh, I think we have a great team around me. Um, so I'm very motivated to do this as long as the supervisory board um, would like me to do it. And do you have a timeline or does the board have a timeline on when uh, the new CEO will be appointed or you become the new CEO? Well, I have very clearly said that uh, I'm I'm such a passionate CFO and I like that job so much. So I'm not a long-term solution as the CEO. I think being the co-pilot to a good CEO, that is a good role for me. Um, I know that the supervisory board is speeding up, and they, they, but they also want to be sure that the right person will come. So I can't give you a timeline. I will be available for the interim role as long as required. It's great catching up with you, Christina. Thank you for helping us out on the story this morning. And best of luck with the coming period. Christina Johansson. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.